0: This episode of the ECWM Podcast has been brought to you by Benelli. Dominate the skies.
1: Kent Cartridge Canada. High quality, high performance shotgun shells for waterfowl, turkey, upland, sporting clays, and more.
0: Sitka. Turning clothing into gear.
1: Maritime dog training. Because I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be.
0: (laughs) Offering obedience training of all levels, service dog and retriever training in person or online. L&M Trailers. Offering trailer rentals and sales in Woodstock, New Brunswick.
1: Big Owl Decoys. High quality silhouettes and accessories for waterfowl, turkey and sandhill cranes.
0: East Coast Calls. Offering high quality duck, goose and turkey calls built right here in the Maritimes. Come on, All right, everyone. Welcome to ECWM podcast. I got my good buddy Matt Wilson here, and we morning. A good buddy on the phone,
1: Jim Pukanka from New England, professional dog trainer by day. <laughs> can't really say what ha- can't really can't really divulge what happens by night. But we, we
0: aren't allowed to say
1: that in public on the air. Thunder from down under, or something greasy like that. I think. <laughs> All
2: right. <laughs> All right. Well this is Jim and uh thank you, Matt and Wesley, for the invite to be part of your podcast and I uh, hope we get the chance to share some good information here for people that may want to listen in and hopefully we can give you some good pointers on trying to help train your dog and lead you in the right direction. Awesome.
1: Well listen, sure. Jim, we're we're super excited to have you on. We had a, a really good, compelling conversation with Walter Vesey who you well know as a brother of yours from uh, Prince Edward Island. What'd he call the island there? Oh, frig- the, the gem of the sea or yeah, something, something there. like that. Yeah. The jewel, of the, sea the jewel of the sea or something like that. But anyhow, we had a really good conversation <laughs> with him to start this series uh, that, of, uh, to just to talk about dog training. So today, um, for everybody that's listening, we're going to try to keep this as basic as we can, but really try to dive in and, and pay close attention. Cause, uh, Jim has a lot of a lot of knowledge. Works with uh, a lot of, uh, I'd say, junior handlers, so to speak, like new uh, new people in the industry wanting to train their their dog for hunting or, or just you know for hunt tests, things like that. So there's a lot of uh, fundamentals and and theories and philosophies here that that we're gonna go over throughout this. So pay close attention. Mm, we're gonna come off of that
0: last podcast from picking a dog, buying a dog, and starting the obedience training into basic and transition training here. and I'm
1: pretty much going to sit back and listen to you guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your kind of your history with dogs? Kick us off.
2: Well, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, I got the, had the chance to hunt over a uh, retriever. It was a, a nice chocolate lab at the time. So when it was my turn to to get the dog as an adult, I bought my chocolate dog and uh started with that dog, which I believe Matt, you and Walt also started the same way. We did, yeah. Um you know, so but as we as I got into the retriever training part of it, realized that I didn't have the skills that were required and uh that first dog actually went by the way and I didn't do the training that I really wanted to with it. And then when it came time for my second dog, I realized it was you know time to go seek help from a professional and bring that dog along. By that time I was a, uh, a canine handler for a, a state department of corrections here in Southern New England. And I spent 10 years working on the canine unit training uh, drug dogs and personal protection dogs tracking dogs and gained a lot of knowledge on the use of structure for teaching along with the discipline that it takes to, um, to bring a dog along from the very beginning all the way through to a finished dog. And then, uh, then I finally realized it was time to put all this together into the retrieval world. And I retired from the department of corrections and I started using my knowledge as a dog trainer at that point and wanted to become a, um, a professional retriever trainer I love to waterfall hunt and do some upland hunting also so I brought it all together and started my program and that was 15 years ago I've been professionally uh, training retrievers now for 15 years and um, absolutely love it just love working with the people love working with the dogs um, as Matt had mentioned I I do a lot of instructional type of training, so it gives me the chance to work with people and provide them with the instruction that's necessary to start from the very beginning. And it's nice to see new people uh, come along, and the COVID-19 pandemic that we've had has brought a lot of people out to where they want to kind of get back outdoors again.
1: Definitely.
2: Yeah, if you've seen it up your way, but the puppy buying has just gone unbelievable um, the last year and a half here. And now people are reaching out to bring those pups along and they want to get out and uh, and really start working with those dogs. And it's nice to see new people wanting the instruction. So it's uh, it's been a pleasure to be able to work with people like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, the, the, the counsel from somebody like you down there that's had a lot of success over the years and you've obviously got The experience is invaluable. I mean, nowadays we have YouTube and things like that, and, and, I mean, people kind of decide that maybe they're going to try and do stuff themselves. But, man, you know, it's inevitable, regardless of who you are or what dog you have, that you're going to run into trouble at some point in your training. Even if you're following a program, there's always going to be a point where your dog doesn't, Go along with how how things should roll along. You're gonna run into issues, and you know to to be able to come to somebody like yourself or or somebody like me to to get some counsel. Well, yeah, so,
0: because there's certain things that are gonna happen that YouTube videos don't cover.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that where that pro some trainer yeah comes in handy. Yeah, like somebody like like Jim's probably you know if it's you know hey I'm having trouble with whistle sets. Well, you know Jim's train four thousand dogs like he's probably seen that a time or two and and has a remedy or two or three different remedies for whatever style your dog is you know
2: well you know it's it's not only that but you know when people start putting a face with their with their instructor and they're able to if things aren't going the way that they thought it would go they can pick up a phone and make a phone call or send a quick text and um, i'm right there to be able to help them out Uh, that's the the great part you know whereas a youtube video or or a book isn't going to offer you that type of backup you might want to say or technical support
1: yeah i I think we're we're kind of getting into why why there's value in going to a professional to help you out and Mm -hmm. we might have even touched on that last time but Mm. you know as important as it is to follow a program and i mean follow it to a T. just pick one there's lots of good ones out there um you know when you have trouble you need to seek professional help for sure i mean there's people there to help you through these these problems before you dig a hole too bad and then you go to somebody and say You, you probably and
0: chances chance you might be able to figure it out yourself, but the amount of time and wrong direction and t- time you're going to spend going in the wrong direction and time wasted that if you'd have just mm-hmm. went to a pro trainer, you would save so much time and just headache.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: So, you know, the, 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 pros are good, you know, to, to, to be there and to help provide the support and, and the knowledge along with that. Um, Walton and, and Matt, you had brought this up before in, in the last podcast, that even belonging to a <clears throat> to a local club yep. and having, you know, senior members of that club that have been there for years and they've trained multiple dogs, a lot of times just being a member of a club and being able to work with a lot of those people, they can help provide an eye and pick up on things that you may not be able to. Mm. So that's, a, you know, that's another good thing. And they may be able to tell you then, okay, this this dog should not be doing that, and you should see somebody to to get some help with that.
1: Definitely, and I think that in saying that, like that's a really good point. And I think that when you go to like club training nights and stuff, and somebody that's kind of a senior member of the club and has had a lot of success comes up and and says hey you know just just maybe watch for this or or whatever offers you some counsel like be open t- to listening to that because i mean people's success you know i s- s- lost my train of nope. thought, but, <laughs> but people people's yeah, success people's success kind of do the talking for them right i mean if, yeah. if somebody's if exactly. somebody's had a lot of success like you know i even though i do this even though i do this for a living now like i still i still think about jim and wald as as mentors Mm. of mine right like if i if i don't know if i run into a problem like it wouldn't bother me a bit to call either of those Mm. guys like i mean why wouldn't i right they've got a lot more experience than me and they're successful like hey i'm having this trouble what do you think i'll send me a video and then watch it and you know give you their counsel and then you have to be open to listen and follow follow yeah. that. Well, I mean, you
0: never stop learning no matter never. how good you are or no. You're always learning. So, right. the
1: best and e-
2: still and there. every do- and every dog presents a different situation, you know, and you've got to be able to read that dog and realize what's going on. You know, if every dog was the same way, then professionals like Matt and I wouldn't be here. Wouldn't uh, have a job. Uh, you'd be yeah. Able to follow, yeah, you'd be able to follow it like a textbook and And, you know, like a computer, you could just program it, but dogs aren't like that. They have personalities and, and even though one subject of a program comes along real nice and smooth, all of a sudden you might hit the next segment of a program and the dog is just not able to absorb the information and you've got to present, present your way of teaching to that dog in a different manner
1: yeah exactly you've got to you've got to be able to pivot and i find that that's the way it is with almost every dog like there's parts of your program that they fly through and then there's other parts that you get to and they just can't seem to pick it up like you you know your your way that you communicated with the last dog to to reach this next part doesn't work for this current Mm -hmm. dog so you know you have to be able to to pivot and and you know have several methods rather than just saying oh well This is the program and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to fit in. Yeah, and that's
0: gonna be a Mm -hmm. lot easier for a pro trainer to figure out than a first or second time handler buyer of a dog. So yeah. Absolutely. That being said, so we've got our dog, we're doing good on her obedience. Call her recommend a pro trainer. What's the next step? We wanna we wanna have a we wanna have a good hunting dog, maybe even get into hunt. So what's the next step? We're working on her obedience making contact with a trainer what's the next step for people force fetch
2: okay for me that would be collar conditioning yeah okay yeah well
1: i was putting that i was putting that into into your into the obedience segment into your obedience do you want to talk about collar conditioning a little bit jim
2: you definitely should yeah i don't think yeah
1: absolutely yeah yeah please do yeah
2: so when i i start working with the dog i teach the dog mostly just sit first um and then I immediately roll right into sit collar conditioning, and I want to be able to sit that dog out at distances um, to gain my control. I find that if I start to use an e collar for conditioning for the recall first, then it makes it much harder to teach a dog to sit out at distances. So I always start with sit first. Um, it. It's a natural reaction for a dog to want to re- run back to you when it's feeling stimulation from a collar. So if you can get it to sit first, then that's, that's my first subject that I teach. And it gains the control that you need over that dog, even if you're out for a walk and it starts to run away from you a little bit. If you can sit that dog, you can always just walk up to the dog and put the leash on it at that point if you need to.
0: Do you start that at a certain age or just a time in their development? What?
2: I start, well, I teach all my younger dogs, even puppies under six months. I I work with, them. I do a lot of treat training, a lot of conditioning that way, teaching the dogs to uh, pay attention to me, get the eye contact I'm looking for, looking for hand signals to come in to heal, um, and mostly a lot of leash training at that point. And then I move right into the collar conditioning when they're about six months old.
1: Yeah right once they get their adult I, teeth
2: yeah as They're soon as the as, soon as the adult teeth come in you know and that's a good gauge for their mental aptitude at that point i don't like to go too much earlier than that um, just the stress of training a dog with an electronic collar the dog needs to be mentally developed enough to be able to absorb that type of information without having a negative effect on their attitude
1: Right, and and I mean, callers in the last even ten years have come a long ways mm. um, in in how consistent the stimulation is, and how they're just so much more well built. What do you use now, Jim? You still using? Are you using Dogtra?
2: Um, I actually have both, but most of the training and what I recommend is the uh, the Garmin. Yeah. I'm using I'm using the Pro 550. Oh, you're back to the five, the 550.
1: Yeah, I like that, and I I get yep. most of my clients to get uh, sport pros actually. I just like that. Yeah. That. So a lot of
2: the yeah a lot of the people around here, you know, if they're just doing kind of hobby work, then I'll recommend uh, the the uh, sport. But if they're going to be any kind of a serious hunter or a multiple dog owner, then I recommend the Pro 550.
1: Yeah, I really like the handheld on the 550
2: for sure. Yeah, you know, I like the ability to work the um, the different levels of buttons. Yeah. So we can go high, high, low, and medium. Medium. You
1: know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you've can... only got seven levels, which, in my opinion, is all you need. Like I don't need one hundred and fifteen mm-hmm. levels, or some of them go way up there. I, I just want seven levels: high, medium, low. You know that that I like that.
2: Once. Right. Once you become experienced enough, you can, you can understand the difference in the stimulation level with the dog. You can tailor that amount of stimulation to the situation that you're working with, with the dog. Um, too high a stimulation in, in the wrong setting can upset your training picture and the dog can relate that type of information to, to the situation. Um, And now the dog starts to gain a a negative attitude towards what you're trying to teach.
1: Yeah, most definitely people get far too heavy handed on, on the collar. And I think at times, like when I'm working with people to collar condition their dogs, I'm like, you know, you're not looking for a vocalization out of your dog. You're just looking for the proper response. Like you have to be attentive to your dog when you're doing this. Can you tell that the dog's getting the stimulation? And and and, and did you get the response that you were looking for? You know, we're, we're not looking for a, a vocalization every time. I mean, that's that's getting to that point, like you were just bringing up there, just talking about. So.
0: And some dogs need higher stimulation than others. It yeah. varies, doesn't it? You've just got to figure that out. Definitely,
1: yeah, yeah. So you start off lower and work your way up but
2: um, well that's why you know a lot of it starts you have to work in a non-distracting setting to start with so the dog learns to accept the stimulation level um, you know so you're just working in your yard using a leash and using an e-collar at the same time um, so that way that you're looking to gain the response from the dog when the dog is feeling that stimulation um so you start your collar conditioning there so you you start just like for me I just start with sit first I walk the dog at heel use the leash to to sit the dog and apply a little bit of, I use very light stimulation most of my dogs are trained to respond to the lightest setting on the collar um which gives me room to go up if I need it if the if the excitement level goes you know much higher um but if I can get the proper response with low stimulation then the stimulation um, does not upset the training thought process. Um, And that's the part, and and that's important. It really is because a lot of people think, you know, the dog's not sitting. I need to sit this dog, and they turn their collar up, and maybe the dog's holding a bird or something at that particular moment, and they go and they they use the collar on a higher setting, and now the dog um, feels a a high-pressure stimulation they drop the bird that's in their mouth and they relate that stimulation to the bird and to the training situation that's going on at the moment and they don't want to go back and pick up that bird and and then the, the whole thought process together just doesn't come together and instead of having a a positive training experience it turns it into a negative situation and in, as a trainer you wanna be able to recognize that and help a dog get through some sort of a situation similar to that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I think that you need to, you know, really be cautious about making sure that you get your obedience done properly and then like when I call her condition, I'm the same way. Like I have the leash on the dog and, and I'm just basically switching the leash pressure for the collar pressure and starting off on a, on a low stimulation and using them in conjunction with one another. And then I'm getting to the point where I don't use the leash hardly at all. Right. right? I'm, I'm at a, I'm at an off leash point, which is, which is the end goal with the least amount of pressure possible. And I think that most people, if we're being honest, like when I have the conversation with a lot of just pet owners, um, I'm like, you know, if, if you want your dog to be off leash, like your dog can absolutely thrive like my dogs don't run away from the collar and and I know none of yours do or or yours doesn't either mm-hmm. Wes. like they want that oh, on Oh he's
0: excited when he sees it come out.
1: Yeah cuz we're going to go we're yeah. going to go for a rip right? Yeah. And if you don't have your dog collar conditioned when they're off leash your whole program is a house of cards like you really mm-hmm have no mm-hmm. form of reinforcement for any of your commands. Your dog is out there running around, and if it decides to chase something or run after somebody else's yep. dog, you, you've you got no way to reinforce that to bring that dog back or, or to you know, right. a- any of that whatsoever. And,
2: so. and if, you just, if you just strap a collar onto a dog when that dog is doing something wrong and you go and apply stimulation, they have no idea what they're receiving or for the stimulation or what their response is supposed to be. If you haven't taught them that they need to sit when they feel that stimulation or they need to come back to you when they're feeling stimulation, then their first their first response is to just run away from it. Bolt.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it would be no yeah. different than us Bolt. going outside and getting struck by lightning. I mean, you oh, it, like get exactly. stung by a bee. They have no idea what the frig's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's absolutely not right. fair. Not fair whatsoever. And that's that's the that's the only problem with collars. Um, collars are a great tool in the hands of a skilled trainer, which is anybody that knows how to use one. Mm. Doesn't have doesn't mean a pro in mm-hmm. the hands of a skilled trainer. But the problem is, is there's way more collars than there is skilled trainers yep. right anybody can go right. and buy one and when they have trouble with their dog they're like oh i'll just go buy a collar and strap it on old jed and mm-hmm. man when he wants to run to the neighbors i'll if you were to go i'll just nail him. 10
0: dog owners and ask them about e-collars i you'd do well to find one that would know how to do proper collar conditioning yeah or any type of training
1: and when you do the the job properly like when you look at your program and say okay I'm gonna buy a puppy. I'm gonna do uh basic obedience and and then get into formal and then you know I'm gonna wear this collar on the dog with the thoughts that once once they're ready, I'm gonna condition them to the collar and that starts early, you know, just wearing it on them and yeah. turning it on, not using it, but turning it on and man, by the time you're ready to collar condition your dog, if you've done a good job with your obedience like it's it's not that big of a deal, is it Jim?
2: No, not at all, and your they're, dog
1: thrives off they're... it.
2: Mm. They're basically just following through with what they already learned. <clears throat> yeah,
0: and the it just transitions from being right beside you to mm-hmm. anywhere.
1: <laughs> and I mean, as far as a retriever trainer, like, you know, once you get through your obedience, I mean, there, there's things like indirect pressure that, that you teach. Like, there's so many ways to communicate with your mm-hmm. dog with that caller out in the field if you're thoughtful about what you're doing right i mean it's it's not a right. it's not something that we're looking to fry our dog with or anything like that it's a form of communication when our dog is 200 meters away right like hey you mm-hmm. made a wrong cast there um i'm gonna recast you use attrition okay you made the wrong cast again call you call you in give you a little pressure sit you down mm-hmm. again now they they understand that because we taught it in the yard they, that's a mm-hmm. communication from us to them with indirect pressure that hey you know. Satellite. So, so with
2: that, Matt, let's let's take a little step back, actually. And as retriever trainers, what do we actually train the dogs for with the e collar? So, with the yeah. yeah. e we, collar, we teach them sit, we teach them recall, and we teach them all force fetch actually to go. Yeah. Um, so, go, stop, and come. Those are the three areas that a dog has to understand. That's enforceable with the e collar. Yeah. So now in a training situation, that's really all that we ask a retriever to do for us. We ask him to go away, go look, go get the bird. You know, if you're not in the right area, I'm going to blow a whistle and sit you. And if you don't sit to the whistle, then I've got the e-caller to control that. Um, and then once you find the bird, come back to me with it. Right. Or, you know, or if you're beyond the bird, I want to be able to call you back. Mm. So that way there, you know, we we were able to control the dog now in a when we're out training with that dog if that dog is not responding correctly such as getting up onto the bank of a pond and running the bank of a pond when we know the bird is still out in the water um or we want the dog to come back to us through the water because there could be danger on the shore such as maybe beaver chewings that could puncture the dog's skin or something We want to call that dog back to us and keep them off the shoreline. Or maybe there's some sheet ice that we want to keep the dog away from that the dog could get into danger with. So that dog's got to be able to respond correctly to that e-collar pressure. And, And in our training process, we were talking about indirect pressure. So we're able to teach the dog to, when we're recalling, if the dog's not listening to us, um we can sit the dog, get the dog's attention, and then use a little bit of e collar pressure to call the dog back in and indirectly it's keeping it out of that danger or keeping it from running on the shore. And that's basically what Matt's trying to talk about here is using indirect pressure with the e collar to clean up a situation that the dog really is secondary to, to what's going on.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not because you know, we want you to go. Like, we're not gonna. If you take a wrong cast, yep. it would be wrong of us to say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna nail you because you you went the wrong way." Like, mm. that's not what we want. You, you're mm-hmm. you're just being disobedient. You're going, which is good. We we want that, but you know, indirectly, we're gonna make make a correction, which we've taught to our dog in in, in the yard, mm-hmm. um, and try to show you, hey, you're you're going the wrong direction here. We want you to go. You know, settled down right. first, get so back, back in the here's,
2: water. Here's a, good, yeah, here's a good way that I describe to people when I'm talking about indirect pressure. Um, so once a dog has been collar conditioned to sit with the pressure of the collar, if you've got a dog in your house that likes to countersurf, so it picks food off the kitchen counter, if you have your e-collar on that dog and that dog goes over to the to the counter and starts to get up on the counter, it puts its feet up there and it starts to reach for some food. And all of a sudden you use stimulation from the caller and say, sit now that dog's going to sit. And it's going in the back of its mind, it's going to think that that counter is not a good place to be. So you're indirectly cleaning up the counter surfing and you're using a command such as sit to actually teach the dog that it's not allowed up there and you're going to control the sit. So it knows how to sit, stimulation, but you're indirectly cleaning up the counter surfing.
1: Exactly. You're using a command that the dog already knows and just reinforcing it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. dog gave you You more legs to stand on, not to to eat the steak that we're supposed to be barbecuing.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. So, you know, a lot of times we have to break situations down to where people can understand um, on, on just everyday types of terms. And on a training level... Um, a lot of novice people don't understand indirect pressure and, and how to use the e-collar pressure from that, just to clean up a certain issue. But when you start talking about a dog, either maybe it's jumping up on the couch and you don't want it on the couch. So when the dog jumps up on the couch, if you if you say here here and you apply some stimulation from the e-collar and the dog knows that it needs to recall with you, it'll start to think that that couch is not a good place to be. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Oh.
1: Rather than screaming no at it, and
2: right? It and, and the dog just at that point, it'll just think that you're just being mean to it, you know. And you're, uh, and every time it gets a chance to, to jump on the couch because you're not around, it's going to jump on the couch. But if in the back of its mind, it's saying, "Ooh, no last time I went on that couch, it didn't feel so good," you know. Yeah. So
1: yeah, and there's so many you know, things that you can use uh, the collar for just you know it's 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 an extension of our arm it it gives us uh mm-hmm. a a way to reinforce commands remotely but, and those are a couple mm-hmm. great examples you know and, and especially for and it's
2: for, yeah for pet it, it's, dog it's a psychological yeah it's a psychological use actually you know it's it's just training aid it's it, it's not just stimulation that they're feeling it's psychological also yeah. um you know and that's and that's the way that they're used so Um, you know, there's cause e-collar use can be done in in many different ways. Um, if you think about a bark collar, um, when the dog barks, it feels the stimulation from the e-collar. So it stops barking. So it's a situational type of thing. Um, the perimeter fences, the underground fence systems that people are installing nowadays, you know, the dog knows there's a boundary there, so don't go near that boundary. There's stimulation. So, again, that's a psychological uh, type of controlling device. So being able to use an e-collar, there's, there's different ways of doing it, you know, with direct pressure, indirect pressure. Direct pressure would be like when the dog gets to the edge of the fence system, it, it feels the stimulation so it stays away from it.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're we're able to we're able to teach all, you know, I always say our obedience on leash is like baking a cake in your collar. When you collar condition, is like the frosting, that's right? Mm-hmm. putting the icing on the cake. Yeah, putting the right. icing on the cake. Yeah, and that's For, the part that
0: even people that are doing good with obedience don't understand about an e-collar a lot of
1: times. Yeah, and I they mean... They just think, oh, geez, shocking. Oh, I wouldn't my shock dog. my dog, yeah. I wouldn't do yeah. that. And I mean, you, you, Jim, like, you've certainly changed. You talked about changing your program, and I mean, uh, the stimulation that you use with your dogs now is... is uh, really low like you get a high level of compliance with low stimulation because you know you have that standard for those dogs early on right right which is super yeah, it, solid that's so, what we all want the lowest level of stimulation to to get the highest level response right yeah
2: right but really what i'm trying what i also do with that is i'm i'm trying to condition a good response from the dog and teaching it that When the dog is giving the effort to work with me, the dog is receiving praise from me. So I've, instead of just being negative all the time and, you know, the dog has to figure it out on its own. So if the dog is not doing what I want, if they receive stimulation, then the dog goes, "Whoa, that was bad. I'm not going to do that again. But when the dog actually tries, I'm... I'm praising my dog and I want my dog to have a good positive experience, which then develops a good positive attitude to work with me. So the more they work with me, the more praise they receive. And in the end result, they just continue to, to try harder and harder and harder for me. And in the end, the dog is, is just so happy to work. You know, Matt was talking earlier about style and, uh, You know, the dog having a good attitude, and that's exactly what I'm looking for when I'm when I'm working with a dog. So, if you're just putting an e-collar on a dog and the dog has to try to figure it out on its own, you're not going to create a very good attitude with something like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's that's at the end of the day, that that's what we want out of our dog. We're not trying to knock the style out of them or anything like that. I mean, there's there's nothing better than seeing a dog that just really loves its job, right? Just just thriving in in every way you know and and if somebody's whole truck looks that uh way you know they're doing something proper
2: right i mean we have the dogs for a reason we love being with the dogs we love having the dogs we love seeing the dogs do what they want to do you know for us as the retriever trainers it's you know it's a lot of the bird work um and we want our dogs to to be able to thrive on that and just to love doing that type of work um but when they're doing it as a, as like a team member and the two of you are able to enjoy it together, it's such a more pleasurable experience for both of you. And that's, yeah. that's the, the nice outcome of it. You know, you're not out at a hunting situation, constantly yelling at your dog cause it's running off and you're more frustrated over your dog than you were for your, you know. Yeah. You never you know. get to that,
0: uh, that teamwork like your, right. your team. It's
2: so, so important to build that. You know, that relationship yeah. with the dog right from the beginning. Following
0: these steps and staying on the path to create mm-hmm. the absolute best team you can be. And
2: I think
1: that's another, that's a really good point, is is the fact that, you know, a, a lot of people get dogs, and they want to hunt with that dog, but as handlers, you know, they, they really don't put the amount of time or effort into the dog that, that they should, and you know, they, they take the dog out hunting probably far too early. Um, and it just, it just ends up being a nuisance on the hunt. Yeah. Right. And, and, right. you know, right. they end up screaming at it and, and putting all kinds of unfair pressure really. Cause they haven't, they haven't done the job as a handler to make that, you know, dog into the dog that it needs to be, um, while they're out hunting. So I think, one it ends of the, up being a negative experience instead yeah, of a positive all the way around. Right, which it should be when, you you know, yeah. a dog should be in addition to the hunt. So I think, you know, people really need to, what we're talking about here today, like formal obedience and collar conditioning, and we're going to be getting in the uh, force fetch, all these things, like people really need to take the time to get all these fundamental skills, like
2: super solid. Yeah. Really. Yeah it it does it, it takes it takes a fair amount of time and dedication on your part for sure um and that's what i think a lot of people when they first get the, get a dog they have these aspirations of going out hunting and having the dog sit next to their side for hours on end just staring at the sky waiting for birds to come in and then when the birds go down you know the dog does a perfect job and everybody thinks because it's a uh, a registered purebred dog that it already comes pre-programmed and yeah. it couldn't be further from the truth. Right. Um, you know, a dog comes with natural instincts for sure, which is to use its eyes to, to watch for prey, to use its nose to, to smell for prey, um, and as a retriever to, to put it in its mouth and carry it. But that's basically about it, you know, um, and the rest of the training comes up to us. And that all starts with the obedience and, and building that bond between the two of you. Um, you know, And so your obedience then follows into collar conditioning. Your collar conditioning becomes uh, force-fetched. And, and then you start bringing those two together. And that gives you a controlled retrieve so the dog can sit there next to your side and wait. It can go out, do the retrieve. The force-fetch gives you the ability to retrieve and then have the dog come back, deliver to a hand, um, so you're not losing crippled birds, and then sit there again and wait. And then if you want to advance into um, beyond work from there, you can, you can teach the handling skills required for blind retrieves, you know, which I think is most important out of all the bottle all of all the hunting skills.
1: Yeah, it, me too. I think It that, takes a I, lot of
2: dedication at that point. Yeah.
1: I think that everybody's dog... <laughs> Um, should be at a senior hunter level in the sense that they can retrieve multiples, like just even doubles, and right. they can run, uh, you know, a medium length blind retrieve or a right. short. Which in a blind retrieve is, is is a retrieve that the dog, a bird that the dog doesn't see go down. Mm. You know, you shoot Correct. into a bunch of birds and the dog sees two of them go down, but one sails off to the right that it doesn't see, and then the dog has to. You know, be sent on a line and handle, which means give them hand signals to get it there. And uh, you know, just exactly like you said, Jim. Like it, it when you say that out loud, it sounds simple, but man, oh. is there ever a pile of work out yeah, there? Yeah, because that. that's where the
0: combination of your his desire, the dog's desires and skills, and your skills and desires have to mesh together. Yeah, and that's where the trust between the two you, and that's where the real Team develops and becomes
1: exactly really exactly. So when we're talking, Jim, about um, force fetch, like, can you can you give us an overview of, of what that is and why that's important? Because I because I know that there's a pile of people that uh, either aren't sure how to do it and they don't want to screw their dog up, so they just kind of <laughs> skip that part. and And can you just kind of touch on why? the importance of it and, and uh, sort of the process there?
2: Well, it, you know, it's a good question, Matt, for sure, because everybody thinks that my dog loves to retrieve. They throw a tennis ball or they throw a training dummy, bumper is what we call it, and the dog runs out there or swims out there, grabs it, puts it in their mouth, and comes back, and sometimes they hold on to it, and sometimes the people just kind of crouch down and they're, the dog able to put it into their hand. Um, and they think, well, my dog loves to retrieve naturally, so I don't need to do force fetch with my dog, but there's, there's so much more to it than that, especially if you ever want to continue on to be able to handle the dog to where you can run those blind retrieves like we were talking about. Um, it's important for the dog to understand that it is a a command that we have taught and it, it is an actual taught command. Um. And it starts with the command, actually, of hold. And even though a dog will carry a tennis ball or a bumper in its mouth for hours on end, as soon as you actually decide to make it a command, the dog doesn't want to hold on to it anymore. So we have to teach that dog that it's important to hold on to it because we're telling it to hold on to it. We're in giving it a command to do so. Um, it's no different than sit. So we teach hold first and that way the dog understands it's got to have that in its mouth. That way it can complete a retrieve and carry that bird all the way back to us and then deliver that bird into our hand. Otherwise, the dog will come back to us and drop the bird. If it's a cripple, the bird then gets away on us, or it's a good chance that it could just dive right under the water and get away.
1: Right, the dog comes out of the um, water, spits the bird out to shake, its, shake the water off itself, and the duck mm-hmm. takes off.
2: And the duck gets off and gets away from us. Um, especially if it's a strong cripple like that and she stand the chance. Well, now that we've been able to teach the dog that it needs to hold on to that, then we're able to start to teach the dog to actually go get that and make it a controllable command. Um, because there's going to be situations where the dog doesn't want to go for something. Um, it doesn't want to take a hand signal because our hand signals are built off of our force fetch, um, what I call a working tool, the working tool is the command. Once it's been taught to do the command, then it gives you the tool to be able to continue to teach. Um, Because there's going to be a lot of situations where the dog's going to want to use its natural instincts, such as to go for the shortest bird. Well, and there's situations in our training where we want the dog to go for a bird that's further away. So we want to be able to control that dog to, to leave a short dead bird alone and go away for a possible cripple that's further away from us. Um, but like I said, their natural instinct, what their mind is telling them is to go pick up that short bird. But if we can get it to go for the cripple that's a little further away, then, then we can control our situation. And, and it's done by going away. And the force fetches is the going away.
1: Exactly, exactly. So you find that, like, we'll kind of compare this to hunt tests. If you went to a hunt test here, there'd be, you know, we'll say just for numbers, 10 junior dogs, 4 senior dogs, and 10 master dogs, or maybe even less senior dogs at times because it's such a big jump to get your dog through force fetch in the handling like and you know Mm -hmm. with the junior level a lot of times sure the dog might go out and get it but it's not you know it's it's not uh it won't hold all that great you know they might get the job done but it's not most times gonna go get it and bring it right back in the heel and i mean the whole process behind force fetch i mean every dog is different and, and you've certainly refined your program a lot jim but it's it's critical. It's your whole in my opinion, force fetch is your whole program. Like if you don't do it, everything else that you try to do after that is just a house of cards and you'll spend so much well, time well, messing around with your dog trying to get them to pick right. stuff up and not drop it when you should be focused on the lesson, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. If if they're just going to pick it up and drop it, pick it up and drop it, then it's it's hard to continue to teach especially if you want to get into multiple marks um, in that type of a situation. But just the tool itself, being able to to teach a dog to force fetch so it goes away, let's put that into perspective as to actually being able to work. If a dog goes out to, to find a bird or pick up a bird, and maybe that bird's in some cover, and the dog goes out there and it searches and it doesn't come up with that bird, now the dog's probably going to give up and come in. Right, and that's a lot of the a lot of what your situations are. A lot of times, like especially if a bird has a little bit of life left in it, then it's gonna it's gonna find cover and it's gonna try to hide from a dog or from us. And now that dog has to go seek that bird out. So it gets out to the area where that bird fell. If the dog's not able to find it, then it's just gonna give up and come in. But if a dog has been force fetched, it's we have the ability now to be able to tell the dog it needs to go back and go search and find that bird. And that's the the important part about that. If the dog learns that they can just go out there, to give a quick little hunt and give up, then they're just gonna to continue to do that more and more and more.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean we need to, to be to be fair to be fair to the dog, I mean if we haven't actually formally taught fetch and the fact that there's a reinforcement mm-hmm. behind that, I mean, we're not giving the dog a fair shake to get upset with it. Right. If it drops a bird, if it gives up on a hunt, uh, any of that, cause you, you, you know, you haven't done your job as a handler. So is it fair to make a correction mm-hmm. on that dog for something you haven't taught? Absolutely not. And that's the mindset no. that we, no. we have to have, we have to be fair to that dog. Like, you know, the dog brought the duck back and spit it out when it came to the shore and wanted to shake off. And, like, if you didn't force-fetch your dog, you can't get mad at it. You, you haven't formally taught right. it. So, you know, it, it's right. super, super mm-hmm. critical. It's, it's literally one of the first parts of the basics. And,
2: and yeah. even some of the dogs that are maybe a little bit on the more sensitive side or whatever, if there's um, an environmental factor that stands in the way between the dog and the bird, um, there might be a mud flat. There could be some heavy cover. There could be logs or something that it needs to climb over. Um, if if the dog doesn't understand it needs to go fetch that bird, then the dog's just going to give up before it really even tries. Right. And it's going to get in the mud and it's going to stop. And it's just going to turn around and say, I don't, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to go through this mud. You know, and then... And, if it's been force fetched you can just say nope, go fetch and next thing the dog the dog will try a little harder and once it tries and it succeeds, it'll start to understand that, hey, you know what I can do this mm. and it it just gives you a tool to work with
1: exactly and you know not every dog has a super high level of perseverance i you know you correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that the majority of the dogs in that situation, don't have a super high level of perseverance. You know, like it, it takes a dog that really wants to hammer and go to, to, you know, shoulder through tough conditions and across a river through heavy cover or, you know what I mean, mm. current in the river or, or cold conditions to go get a bird. And if your dog's, you know, somewhat sensitive, you know, or maybe doesn't like the yeah. water that much or doesn't see the value or, you know, they're not gonna go get it, you know you're absolutely right. Like perseverance is a is a super big thing in in dogs, so that I mean that we talked about that in the last podcast about picking a dog kind of match the hatch that mm. that uh, is gonna have right out of the gate good bloodlines and a high level of perseverance. but if they don't, and I mean, Jim, you've dealt with a number of dogs like that 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 don't have a high level of perseverance and are on the more sensitive side. I mean, they still have to be force fetched, but they're going to need a different approach. So maybe you want to speak on that a little bit. Like does your program change at all as far as force fetch goes when you have a dog that's a little more sensitive? Like how do you bring them along?
2: Well, I've, I've changed my program in the past. Um, There's different ways of actually force fetching a dog. Um, there's, there's, Three methods that I know, one is the toe hitch, where you use a piece of rope that wraps around through the toes and you squeeze the toes together to cause a little bit of discomfort to the dog. Um, and when the dog opens its mouth because it doesn't like the discomfort, you place a bumper in, and it, so now you. And then as soon as the bumper's in the mouth and, or the dowel, whatever you want to use as a set force uh, item, then you release the pressure. So the dog learns pressure release the pressure by um, placing this item in in your mouth. Um, The other way is a pinching on the ear. So I don't really, both of those have started to kind of turn me off now. So actually what I've started to do is just go straight to the e-caller. I've heard this from a number of some of the national pros that they've gone straight to e-caller type of training um and that's what I've gone to now to where I can make a dog reach out for a bumper just by doing a lot of low nick 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 type of stimulation right. if the dog starts to open their mouth and reach out for a bumper. And as soon as the um as soon as the bumper's in the mouth we stop the nicking part and they quickly learn that, you know, when I'm feeling that stimulation then I need to I need to reach out and get the and grab the bumper once the dog is doing it, then we start to name the task, such as fetch. Right. So now you're creating, you're creating pro uh, propulsion to go forward, momentum to go forward. Uh, and everything is built off of there. And all we do is start to, to build from putting the bumper, a half an inch in front of their mouth to being able to run a four or 500 yard blind retrieve. It's just a continuation and a build and a build and a build. Um, And just to be able to go from there. Once the dog is able to to drive to the ground and pick that up uh, with a little bit of stimulation, then then I switch over to what we call avoidance type of training to where the dog will, if we give it the command to fetch and it fails, then there's stimulation. So the dog can avoid that stimulation, that nick, nick, nick from the collar If it just does the job and follows through with the command that we're asking it to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's kind of a a simple thought process, really, like, you know, after fetch, you feel the stimulation. But as quick as you get that in your mouth, Mm the stimulation goes away. So when you hear that, you know, we, we have to have that reinforcement and we have to teach it formally. Otherwise it's right. not, it's not fair to make any correction to the dog when they come out of the water and spit out your bird that's got a100 dollars reward mm-hmm. band on its leg when it flies away right <laughs> like sure you're gonna be sure you're going to be upset but I mean you never taught it well so we, just, so, so we want to we,
2: make sure that we get a, we just want to make sure that we get the bird if the bird has been shot you know except they're a conservation tool the dogs are our tool to work with and we just want to make sure that we get the bird because if your dog doesn't want to go get it, then yeah, we may not be able to get it. We may not be able to deal with the mud ourselves. We're going to sink up to our waist, and uh, we can't get to it where a dog can make its way through the mud or through the weeds, um, you know, or any of those types of situations.
1: And that's a really you know, good point too. Is is as far as conservation goes? I mean, you know, these these dogs. When you do your job as a handler. And you train them properly. Rarely, rarely would you lose a bird unless it dives we, down. Well, we don't. Yeah, I mean, like maybe in a water situation,
0: I mean, like you said, where right. you dive down.
1: Dive down, get under ice, or you know, just you couldn't couldn't be retrieved regardless, maybe. right? It just just the odd time, right? Yeah, as just far just as kind of field, right. ground
0: just, hunting, dry land. Yeah, I don't think we've ever. No, just kind of an God.
1: Yeah, that you would lose one, but. Um, and that's the other thing, like when you go through force fetch, if you've got a dog that could be, you know, a little excitable or, or possibly a little hard mouth, like you, you, oftentimes you'll get a dog that wants to be or could be a little bit rough with birds. That's the other thing that force fetch goes through is is, you know, teaching them to have a soft mouth, not chew on things, right? Like we're teaching them mm-hmm. exactly what we want, exactly what hold means is hold, you know, so... That whole process right. cleans a lot of that up and sets the standard right away. Just pick it up. Exactly. Hold on to it. Don't throw it around in your mouth. Come back in the heel, sit down. And when I say give or drop or out, whatever you use for a command, you go, ah, and spit it out <laughs> into our hand. You know what yeah. I mean? Hold it until then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a you know, mm-hmm. that that's the very, you know, first part of that. We've taught the dog what we expect for its behavior through obedience you know we've taught it how to act off leash and we've we've uh, communicated that way through the e collar then we've done our our force fetch process and taught it how to hold and what fetch means and, and what the collar pressure means for fetch which i'm actually very interested in because i force fetch probably i probably wouldn't do near as many as you jim but i'd probably do like half a dozen dogs a year even service dogs we force fetch them because it's all you know it's great for them to be able to grab things for their handlers you know if they're in a grocery store or where, wherever well, it's not uh, really a negative I, for any dog no any it's any su- kind of yeah it's su- it's a super good process so um right. but yeah your method with just the low stem on the on the e-collar i'm certainly interested in mm-hmm. because so, yeah yeah so
2: you know during the in my training process um, I work with a lot of new people that are that are coming into this sport and wanting to work with their dog a lot of times for their you know their first dog and I just I probably help those people through that force fetch process I want to say there's there's probably eight maybe eight people a month that i work with and then the dogs myself that i work with are probably another eight dogs a month so we're looking at about 16 dogs a month that i put through through the force that's part of it yes sir you know and after 15 years of doing that you know you start to you start to gain a little experience as far as um you know every dog's a little bit different and you've got to work with what you have for a dog Um, and you can teach hold really fast, maybe with this particular dog, but then all of a sudden they just don't, they can't put the the picture together when you start the E-collar stimulation and it takes a little bit of time. The biggest thing with that is to just be patient and take your time and work with the dog that's presented with you, um, and not, not try to push a dog harder into it. Um, some people think that if I just start turning up this collar pressure and, 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 Give more stimulation or higher levels of stimulation to the uh, to the e call or force fetch that the dog is just going to respond better and you make your whole situation worse so that 's really the one note that I want everybody to take is don 't use high stimulation for that you 're going to make your situation worse. Mm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Don't drive them into the ground. Like, if, you, if you're if you having a problem, we need to focus on teaching rather than adding more pressure. Because right. Right. obviously yeah. the pressure you've given so far isn't getting the desired result, so more pressure. could yeah, just. I, I mean, even though you might get that dog to fetch, it might not be the hold that you want after that because you've got him so wound up that he may not want to let go of that item
2: anymore or, you know. Uh. Well, if it's not getting it with the lower pressure then it's it's not understanding what it is that it's try that you're trying to convey to the dog as far as what is its reaction supposed to be you yeah. know what are you trying to get out of it so by going causing a negative situation by adding heavy levels of stimulation, then it just it just the the dog gears and the stimulation to the action. Um, like I was saying earlier about jumping onto the couch, now the dog's going to want to shut down on on the fetch part because it's just thinking that, you know, it's a situational type of thing where it's receiving heavy stimulation and it's supposed to respond in some way. It would rather run away than reach out and do something for you. Yeah,
1: exactly. and And, you know, that's all... Just going back so, to being a, a good handler, just showing the dog the way, being 100% exactly. clear, and planning, like knowing, okay, this this lesson, this is, this is, what's the point of this lesson? What's the concept? Okay, well, I want to teach the dog hold, or this is, or, the, you know, I've taught hold, this is the first day that we're going to add pressure, and this is the response I'm looking for out of the dog. So if I try it on this mm-hmm. level, and the dog doesn't seem to be getting it, what am I going to do? You know, it's not going to be that right. I'm going to turn it up. I'm going to rewind a little bit, slow down, take your time. Like, okay, how do I get this yep. point across to this dog that that this pressure is not a bad thing? Like, we're just, this is a reinforcement for, you know, what what we want you to do. So, you know, some dogs pick yes. right up on that, no problem. And others, you know, just completely yep. try to avoid, so.
2: Yeah, some some dogs will will understand what I'm looking for within a day or two sometimes, and then other dogs might take six or seven or even eight days, back to back days training situations. So you have to keep stay patient, just stay patient with the dog, and continue and be consistent with that. Um, going into higher pressure is just going to create a bad situation.
1: Now, when so, you when you start harder, to add pressure. Beach. Sorry, Jim. Interrupted you there. But when you when you start mm-hmm. to add pressure, once you've got your hold uh, process kind of down or as far along mm-hmm. as you want to get it, when you start to add pressure with the dog, like if you're using a, a bumper or or a force fetch buck, we'll say like a dowel or something like that. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your process there? Like, do you have that right up against your mouth, and then you say fetch, and you start to add pressure? right away yeah. With the caller, so, just bump, yeah. bump, 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 so momentary? Or? The,
2: exactly. So actually I, I always have my caller set to continuous, but I'm tapping the button. Okay. So, and and I'm usually using like a level one. Um And so it's, so it's basically as low as the setting will go on the caller. Obviously if you're using like a rheostat dial type of caller such as... um some of the ones where it goes all the way up to 127 or something like that, you would probably want to start on a 15 or 20. So Mm -hmm. there's, they're feeling some level of stimulation, but it's very, very light. Um, and I just start tapping that button and I tap and I tap and I tap and I hold the bumper, right? I use bumpers for mine. Um, once they learn, you know, just put that in your mouth. It doesn't matter what the object is. Um, And because I am using lower levels of stimulation like that, it's not really upsetting their thought process geared towards a bumper. I'm just trying to teach the action. Um, Open their mouth and reach out. So the bumper is right up against their lips. I start tapping and tapping, and I have the dog on a very short leash at this point. They're not on a bench. They're on the ground.
1: Okay.
2: And I have them on a very short leash. Um, So... And I'm actually holding the collar itself of the dog. And so I start tapping and tapping and tapping the button and they start to open their mouth. If I'm not getting a reaction within the first day or so, I'll actually start to open the mouth a little bit with my fingers. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the bumper's in their mouth, I release the pressure. I stop the tapping of the button on the collar.
1: Right.
2: Um, from there, usually within a half a dozen times to eight times maybe, then the dog will start to actually open their mouth and, and the bumper. and I'll put the bumper in their mouth. Once they're opening on their own, I'll put the bumper in. Right. Pretty soon, I I expect them to start to reach for it. So it's it's a building process. Um, are you repeating them... fetch while you're doing that? Or are you just so saying it once until they're until they're actually opening their mouth um, and reaching for the bumper? Then I add the the verbal communication part of fetch. Okay. So and you're right, just so offering I oh,
1: stimulation and then having that in front of their mouth and then Correct.
2: Yeah. Correct. You know, we talked a little earlier about the um the silent command system right. and that's part of it for me. Mm-hmm. So I wait for a dog to um, start the action and then I name the action. Because otherwise you just teach them to avoid resist. Yeah, yeah they, they resist your commands otherwise. Because mm-hmm. if I'm saying fetch, 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 and they don't know what it means, they're just going to learn to shut that that verbal communication of fetch off.
1: Right. Makes sense.
2: You know, so I want to wait for them to start to open their mouth, and then I name the task, such as fetch.
1: Yep, that's a lot of the way going through my obedience, how I've, over the years now, I've <laughs> changed at the start of my program, like when we're teaching a dog just to rewind just a touch like when we're teaching a dog heel like when you first get a dog like they're everywhere's on the leash so we don't say anything right. to them we just show them everywhere's we don't want them to be and when they will walk right where we want them to beside us then we can mm-hmm. tell them good heel you just name that spot so yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's 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 yep. really good. And
2: Right. Yeah. You don't wanna you don't wanna basically wear out the command nope. and not get a proper response to it, because otherwise they just learn to to shut that that command off. Right. Because they've learned that they can get away with not performing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right on. And then when you do something right and you praise them for doing it correctly, you know, like fetch, good. There you go, good oh, that's what you wanted, you know, and it just makes it so much easier. They start to learn that that light bulb comes on, and now they try, and they try harder, and they continue to try harder, and the more we praise. So now you start to put a lot of those actions together when you're teaching a structured program. First, you teach them to heal. You teach them to sit, you know, and now you're teaching them to go, and now you're getting your controlled retrieve. The whole picture's coming together, right? you know, so way I start with people when they first attend the program, it's it's just like a child going to school. They go into grade one and they learn their ABCs and their one, two, threes. You know, and then they start to learn how to form words and words become sentences, sentences into paragraphs. Um, and then you can start to put a story together. And hunting is the story. You know, and it's the only way that you're going to be able to to teach a dog to go through that type of a process. You have to be able to have your ABCs. Um, And that's the part that's really important for people to understand that it's, it's all about teaching those very beginning basics and starting to put those basics together and, and start forming those words, which will someday become a story.
1: So we've been talking about like obedience Formal obedience and working into the e caller and force fetch, like just as a whole now, Jim. How important would you say the basics are in in the complete program? Like, I try to tell people like obe- your obedience and and your foundational <clears throat> skills should be a way of life, and and I feel like you know, and I'm sure you see it a lot. People they do that and they do their force fetch, and then they want to go right into Doing big big marks, which is and the mark is a is a bird that the dog sees thrown and go down, um, and you know maybe even skip some of these, some of these next processes like simple casting or or you know they don't spend enough time on the T that pile work or double T. Some people just do T. I suppose. Um, how important are the basics to you? I'm sure you spend a lot of time on that stuff. So,
2: well the. The basics are your working tools. Um, that is what allows you to move forward through any kind of your teaching program from there on in. Whether you want to just have a a dog that is, I want to say, at a mid level okay. to be able to to go hunting with relatively controllably, that you can so you can at least enjoy your day. And then there's the dogs that go all the way to to a fully polished dog, you might want to say, to where it can run a a poison bird blind, things like that. Um, So a poison bird blind is when there's birds that are out there. The dog knows they're there. They can see them. But you want to be able to give the dog hand signals and go away from those birds that are just laying there dead. Um, Maybe you've got a cripple that's getting away. So when you have a dog like that, you can't get there without teaching all your basics and your basics have to be absolutely solid in order to continue to teach. Um, so when I, when I mean solid, I mean, just controllably is really what I'm looking for. The dog will sit when you tell it to sit, the dog will come back to you when you tell it to, to come back to you. Um, you know, and, and that's where a nice structured program will be able to give you the tools to work with, uh, to, be able to teach because if you know if you don't have your control if you don't have your basics you can't teach and that's that's the whole thing you can't put the dog into situations out in the field to where it can gain experience so come hunting time um, you'll be able to enjoy those days when you're out in the field because you, you have to be able to have the control over the dog and your basics are what gives you that control
1: yeah absolutely now i know we've in the last podcast, we talked a lot about programs, and and you and I've even mentioned it here several times. I mean, there's there's lots of good ones out there. Is there any that you recommend to people, Jim, or or what's what's the what's the material that you you show to people or you believe in the most? Well,
2: to to be honest with you, I've kind of developed my own system. Sure. I've, I've gone to a number of seminars from different people. Yeah, um, everybody does it a little bit different, so I've I've taken what I've wanted to from different programs, and I've applied it in the order that I that I teach. Um, I like to be able to start with sit, and then I move sit into the sit collar conditioning. Then I teach recall collar conditioning. Um, and then I do hold, and then force fetch. Force fetch builds into pile work, which is your uh, single T, double T. Yep and then that gives me the ability to start my handling from there I I, I do tune up drills and uh, pattern blinds off of that Um, and then I go into swim by with the dog once the dog is handling relatively comfortably on land and believes in me on the land uh, and I can run short cold blinds then I like to step into uh, swim by so the swim by process goes nice and quick Mm -hmm. and so Swim by gives me the ability to start to handle in the water, and then I start water tune-up drills.
1: And is that, Um, is swim by the last part of your basics?
2: Yes, it would be,
1: And then you get in a transition, like your pattern blinds, and, you know... Yeah,
2: well, like I said, I stepped a little bit, you know, I usually do a little bit of pattern blind work, and... and, uh, Some land tune-up drills on land first before I go into swim by. I want the dog to be able to uh, understand some of my casts and have a little more belief in me. So when I do swim by, it goes quick, and then I roll right out of swim by into being able to run some uh, some water handling drills and and be able to run water blinds. Right. So for me, I'd be able I'd be able to you know usually teach all of that within probably about a seven to eight month process
1: right right so depending on yeah exactly yeah for sure you know when
2: that's training or that's training like five days a week yeah so you know if somebody's gonna somebody's gonna train a couple days a week you know kind of casually and they're and they're not over, overly experienced it's going to take you a little while so people should should understand that part that Training a retriever to where they're going to be able to take hand signals in the water is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while. Right. Be pre- be prepared for it. Don't you know? Don't even purchase a dog if you think you're if you're not going to spend that time and be dedicated to the training process to the dog.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we all kind of want things to happen fast nowadays. Just it's just part of our culture, you know, what we've been conditioned to with technology and everything like that. But I I think as an amateur trainer like if you have one dog or you've just got a couple dogs at the house like when you follow a program like you really should take your time and enjoy the process like if you have only a couple days a week or 3 days a week or whatever to train like do do the right thing like follow your program and if it takes you longer it takes you longer but at least at the end of it your dog is going to be solid right Rather than, mm-hmm. you know, moving ahead or skipping steps or, tr- you know, trying to get your dog, you know, further your dog along uh, faster than your dog's able to, you know, then you run into trouble. Like, enjoy the process. Enjoy the time with your dog. playing your sessions. Absolutely. Know, know, what, know what you're going to do. Follow your program and make sure that you do a good job at everything. Like, I can't stress that to people enough. Like, if your program... Mm-hmm. When you're talking about pile work, if it says line to the pile, cast to the pile, stick to pile, force to pile, sit to pile, come in to pile, like, do all those things, if that's what it says yep. to do. You know, don't skip Absolutely. things. If, if something doesn't make sense to you in the program, don't skip it. Ask somebody, hey, what's this all about? Well, this is why you need to do this, because, like, four things down your list, you're going to need that, you know, because... <laughs>
2: Well, that that structured drill that you're reading or you're watching as a, as a video or whatever, it's there because somebody has already experienced all, of, you know, all of what you're going through in, in probably, hundreds of times. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and and there's a reason for why that's being done. Yeah. It really is. So. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. No, I think that I think that we covered, exactly you know, I think that we put a pretty good beating on the first part of, of basics here. And and I think that those things really needed to be gone over thoroughly, you know, (laughs) because I think that people, when we're talking about retriever training, like your basics, the start of it, your formal obedience and your force Mm -hmm. fetching and collar conditioning, like those parts get skip through or rush through and really like man if you skip through them or don't get that done right you know you're you're setting yourself up for for failure really down down the line right you're gonna spend so much time messing around with your dog and if you're in if you're training with a group of people and you know your dog's out in the field messing around with birds or won't pick them up or brings them halfway back and drops them and you know like you just want to make sure that you've got that all done right, right from the start. And, and it,
2: yeah, and again, when I, you know, when I'm teaching somebody new coming into this, you know, I, I tell them exactly what you just said, Matt. Exactly. Um, it, it's again relating back to a child going through school. It'd be like skipping a, a grade or even a couple of grades while they're trying to learn. If you, you know, if you teach them their ABCs and how to make a word. But then all of a sudden they're in sixth grade and you want them to, to put an equation together, which is basically what a hunting situation is. You know, if, if you just rushed through and went directly to force fetch and not hold, then the dog's not going to know how to hold onto that bird. And then when you start that stimulation from the collar or you're doing an ear pinch or toe hitch, whatever it is you're using as a force fetch tool, they're just going to spit that bird out and they're going to relate that pressure that you're trying to force fetch with to, to just get that bird out of your mouth rather than put it into it.
1: Yeah. 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 No, no question. And Lauren Langman actually, it's funny you brought that up about school. Cause I mean, that's, that's really what this is. He brought that up the other day. He's like, you wouldn't take your kid to kindergarten. And then, you know, the next day start teaching Correct. them grade 7 math and when they get it wrong, start beating them up for it. I mean, you know, it's a it's, right. a, it's a process. It, it has to make sense to you and the dog, right? So,
2: Right. We can't and it's, a, it's a stepping process. It's just build and build and build. You teach little tiny steps and you'll get to the end result much faster doing it that way than if you try to, to skip steps and, and get there. Yeah. You know? And that's the part that people really need to understand because all of a sudden there isn't going to be there's going to be a segment in the program that's missing that the dog's not going to understand. And before you know it, you, you're going to, you're going to have a failure and yeah. the dog will, won't understand what it is you're trying to teach. Yeah. And right. next thing you know, you, you've you got to take a step back and, and reteach, right. you know, or the, or the dog does something that you don't, that you don't like. And it's possibly rewarded with, with a failure And then you're not able to, to, and then the dog believes at that point that that's the way it's supposed to be. And you can't, you can't get by that. You have to go back and you have to reteach.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's something
2: um, that
1: we're scared of or or a lot of people are, are scared of like, Hey, you know, I'm in, I'm doing double T like I shouldn't have to rewind to this part of my program and and fix this up we're just going to drive our way through it well you know like realistically if if you didn't get a part of things done very well in your program beforehand and it's showing up later on like that's exactly what you need to do you know otherwise you know if you don't the first time you start trying to force your way through with pressure i mean you're you're just sticking the shovel mm-hmm. in the ground and digging yourself a hole it's only going to make more and more and more problems you
2: know and then right and and a lot of people realize that when they're out in the field and they're doing a training exercise or maybe even a hunt test type of situation and they, they run into a situation where there's something that that wasn't taught properly yeah Go back, go back into your yard or your building, whatever you're going to work in, and, and teach it there. Reteach it there. Yeah. Don't try to teach it in the field because you're just going to relate any kind of uh, negative negative uh, reaction to your field setting, and, and that's the part that a lot of people don't understand.
1: Yeah, and something so, else. Something else that just to, just to continue on with that. Um, when we're in the yard and we're in ideal conditions or we're training and like a lot of times I train alone and there's not a lot of factors of other vehicles and other people there and stuff like you know you have to try to train with other people so you can so you can get that level of excitement and whatnot but when when you don't have those things around and it is ideal conditions like your standard for your dog's behavior should be so super high like zero tolerance because If you're lackadaisical about those things at all, like when you go hunting or when you go to a trial and there is all that stimulation, you are going to see the real dog that you have on your truck. Right. They are going to show you things when they're on the lawn. Your true collars are going to come out. You're right. There's no, you know, you go to a trial and there's no e-collar on the dog and, and the dog is super pumped. And if they're a high flying, high drive dog, you know, you're you're gonna see all the
2: holes in your program about so, just how they're doing yeah. That. So the way we like to yeah, you know, the way we like to put that is you get about sixty percent in a testing or trial or a hunting situation that you get in your training situation. Yeah. So that's the way you need to think about it. Strive for as high a standard as possible in training, so yeah. that way there, because you, you are gonna have less of a standard. When it comes to the trial or hunting situation, you are going to, at the, the excitement level, you just cannot duplicate that in training.
1: You, yeah, you absolutely cannot. You're, you're right there 100% because I run into that with Tank. Like last year, um, I never had a dog that broke ever, and uh, he broke on me a couple times last year. And like neither Riley or Otter or any of the other dogs that I ran uh, never had broke before and i was like you know what that just goes to show me that i'm not doing my job good enough like well mm-hmm. enough in training like i've really got to get my thumb on this guy and and make sure that not just in not just in training i guess and that's why i say like every piece and part of his life Like I had to be attentive to. I had to change. Like we are gonna go. You are gonna operate under control with me all the time. He's not a robot. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not like that. He's you know, Tank's probably one of the best, snuggliest house dogs you'd ever wanna wanna have. But when it comes time to do the job, like he's a 12 out of 10, you know, high Mm -hmm. octane machine. You know, just every part of his body's shivering, wanting to go. And I mean, uh, I had to change. The way that I operate with him because I wasn't attentive enough. So, and it's and it has gotten a lot better that way. It seems to be getting better all the time. Like we just went to our first trial of the year uh, last weekend. I didn't have any breaks. He passed both days in the master um, and he looked good doing it. Now, going to the line, we still need work, but he was much better, much better this year. So I was pleased with that like it showed me we've been working on we've been working on that so it showed me that we're we're getting there. We still need still need work and I know that that's in him and I know that I can't recreate that level of excitement even with hunting. I mean even when we go hunting the dog is pumped but I mean they still have an e-collar on you know they're in a blind like trials are different so you know just to keep a super high standard for high drive dogs like that like it really
2: the thing about the trials are there's everything is repetitive 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 so the dogs pick up on that repetition you know they they go into the holding blind before they get the chance to get the birds they have to come out and sit on the line to watch those birds go down and because it's the same repetition all the time they quickly pick up on that on that repetition and they know exactly what their next step is. So they anticipate every bit of that, Yeah, um, you know, and that, that part there is what can be a little bit of a detriment to, to training process. So you have to be prepared for that and, 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 train for it. You know, and that's, that's the part that a lot of people don't understand. as soon as you start to put things into a repetitive cycle like that, the dog's going to anticipate it. And you've got to be prepared for that. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: no, well, well, listen, Jim, we've been how long are we out here now, Wes? Well, we're a
2: couple, a couple hours, I think. A couple <laughs> of hours,
1: yeah. We took up a little we bit yeah more, we've so. been
0: recording about an hour and twenty minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, we, that's were, we were on for a good half hour.
1: Yeah, before before that, <laughs> listen, Jim, will uh, I know you're I know you're a busy man, but uh, man, we really appreciate you coming on here and doing this with us and, uh, your, your counsel and, and, uh, all your, your knowledge. There's going to be a lot of people that I'm sure will really, really take a lot out of this,
2: um, because I mean, you know, I will say Matt, that sometimes, you know, you have something in your mind that you want to kind of talk about. and You want to progress through a certain type of a situation, but sometimes when you start throwing things around, you kind of lose that progression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think sometimes to to help benefit you a little bit would be able to kind of start at the beginning and try to work your way through just like putting a dog through a program and try to like try to go through from the beginning to, to an end so somebody can kind of follow on. I know you're going to edit this and you're going to try to take and be able to put it in a progressive stepping process. So yep. hopefully that, you know but to save you a little bit of more time on something like that is to talk about it a little bit ahead of time and learn how you're going to progress through, you know, and that might help the two of you be able to put together a little better type of podcast. I got, I got a little jumbled around in the the teaching process here. um, Oh, that's all good,
1: man. We, we, like we, we talked about the biggest thing here was to talk about, uh, the formal obedience, e-collar conditioning, and and force fetch mm-hmm. those those things really needed to be established for all these listeners for sure. Because I mean we're we're gonna assume that most of our most of our listeners are right in the basics part of things. So um, yeah, you, you they know, usually are. Any any of that information that that you gave out today? I mean we we we're ra- all about we
0: rabbit, rabbit trails holes and straying off. Yeah, we rabbit trail <laughs>
1: all all the time, and I mean that, that's part of what makes us kind of great but uh no we listen ma'am we mm. th- this means a lot to us that you take the time out of your day to to come and do this so we we really right, appreciate buddy. it Jim is kind knowledge. of a big deal if you yeah. haven't figured that out Wes. yeah <laughs>
2: yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. yeah so anyway yeah uh, hopefully everybody uh hopefully everybody took something out of this um cer- certainly share this leave us a rating and review follow us on uh facebook instagram all that stuff and if you have questions like put them in the comments yeah tell us what tell us yeah, what you yeah. thought tell us what you liked what you didn't like you know if there's things right. that you want us to touch on for the next one let us know let us
2: know